Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. Our passage today concludes the study in the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through this text that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, and today we get to conclude the final admonition that he writes to that body of believers. If you want to join with me, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes to your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19 reads this way, And also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. The word of the Lord. I enjoy this passage because I work with kids, and they are, I believe, at the heart of a spiritual battle. If you know all the voices and pressures and all the influences vying for them, I don't have to tell you if you're paying attention that there's a battle going on for every soul and every young person. Paul actually concludes this letter after talking about relationships between mothers and kids and fathers and kids and husbands and wives and unity in the church and making the gospel plain throughout the world, all of that, he ends by saying, we're at war. He's somebody that sees the battle himself because he's writing this strapped next to a Roman guard. He's literally chained for the gospel as he writes about the armor of God. He may have even been noting what his uh, warden or his prison overseer was wearing. That soldier that had him shackled had armor on. And I think that might have been what inspired Paul to reflect on the armor of God. It's even more powerful. It's even more bulletproof than what the Roman soldier would have been wearing. So Paul's telling us the battle's on. Get ready. There's an enemy that's out to get us. My sister, two years ago, married a former Navy SEAL who's now an FBI counterterrorism expert and agent. And when he comes home from work, he's really not allowed to talk about his day. 
he basically just says things and stuff. I accomplished an objective. I uh, sent some emails. I had some meetings. And he wasn't really free to talk about it because the enemy's at work and he's trying to defend it and it's classified. But Paul declassifies our battle today by telling us how to deal with the forces of darkness that are out there. He doesn't want it to be a secret. He doesn't want it to be confusing. He makes it really clear how we're supposed to be ready for the battle. So Paul, at the end of this letter, says, suit up. The armor is ours, but we have to put it on. The battle has already been won by Christ, but we still need to fight. If you hear this tension in the Gospels, then you're starting to understand it. I heard one theologians say anytime we listen to the voice of Jesus, he speaks to us in stereo. There's a balance there. The the armor is ours already, but we have to go to our closet and put it on. The armor is on us, but we have to use it. The armor of God doesn't protect us from the battle. Sometimes when we come to Christ, we think our lives will be easier. And if you read a lot of Christian literature online or in Christian bookstores, it does sound like Jesus came to make my life easier. He came to make my life more full. He came to make my life more joyful. He came to give me life abundantly, but he also came to give me more battles. I get shot at more as a follower of Christ than I do if I'm not following Christ. The battle is real, and as we're on the front lines, if we're doing something that matters, we should expect resistance. Resistance is actually a compliment that confirms we're going after something that matters. In battle, if you get closer to a precious target, you get more flack than if you're far away from something that matters. And sometimes as believers in Christ, we say, we're getting fired at, we must be doing something wrong. Because we have this idea that Jesus came to make life easy. He came to make life better. Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia is described as, as this picture of Jesus. And one of the kids asks the other one, when you're following Aslan, is, is that lion safe? And one of the children said to the other, oh no, child, he's not safe, but he's good. If we follow him, we'll be protected. If we follow him, we'll win in the end. But he's calling us into a place of conflict with the forces of darkness. So Paul's saying, Finally, after everything I've told you about relationships and the church and about this whole message of the book of Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If we try to go against the forces of darkness ourselves, it's no contest. If we go in our own strength, it's over for us already. We are not able to measure up or match up with the forces of darkness. The devil is a mighty angel. He's fallen from grace and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. We can't come and fight him on our own. We've got to humble ourselves and remember that we have to use the armor that God's provided for us. When we have the armor of God and we fight the devil, it's also no contest because his armor and his power are far greater. So Paul's Paul's saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God. We have to be humble enough to know that if we go out without armor, it's not going to work well for us. If you walk into the line of fire and you don't have spiritual armor, you're going to go down. So Paul's saying, realize there's a battle. Realize God's provided. Put on the whole armor of God. Not just part of it, but all of it. 
Achilles, the mighty warrior, was wounded because he had one exposed part of his body, his heel. And that's where the enemy got him. The enemy knows our weaknesses, too. He knows where we're strong and where we're weak. And he's going to try to exploit those vulnerable spots. It's a real battle. Jesus said this, that the enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come to have life and to bring it to the fullest. So there's a battle going on for every soul, and the devil's trying to pull people away from God, and Jesus, through his Holy Spirit in us, is pulling people towards God. And we have to put on the whole armor in order to survive, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the devil. C.S. Lewis said it really well. He said, there's two ways that the forces of darkness can get us. Number one is if we have an unhealthy fascination with the devil, where we attribute power to him and activity to him that actually doesn't really come from him. If you go to the mall and you can't find a parking spot, that may not be spiritual warfare. That might be a congested mall during a holiday season. And we might actually be giving the devil more credit than he deserves. The other way that we can get played by the devil, though, in this battle, is to pretend that he doesn't exist. To pretend that all the things that happen are circumstantial, and they're just coincidental, and there really isn't anything going on in our world beyond what our five senses can perceive. Paul says in this text, be aware that invisible forces of darkness and light are at work, and that's even more real than what we can see. It's more real than what we can touch. And we have to be ready to engage with spiritual weapons. If we try to fight the battle with earthly weapons, we'll lose. But if we use the spiritual armor that God's given us, the armor of light, Paul writes in another passage, it's it's armor of light. It's almost like it's supernatural power. I love working with kids because they they love superheroes. They're always looking for someone who has power beyond the five senses, power beyond what we capably know and expect. And and Paul's saying, you've got superpowers, and they're real. You don't have to go to Marvel Studios to watch a movie about it. It's actually real, and you can put it on yourself. It's in your closet every day. Suit up with it. Put on the armor of light so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. There's lots of misinformation about the devil. There are some religions that teach he's the brother of Jesus. That's not true. There's some understanding that the devil is equal with God, and they're sort of like the yin-yang power balancing out the world. There's a tug of war between two equal powers. That's not true either. The devil was a fallen angel. He only took one-third of the evil spirits with him. The the rebel angels became demons because they decided to follow Lucifer. So if you're on the side of Jesus, two-thirds of the angels are on your side. One-third of the angels are on the force of darkness. So we have the advantage in numbers. We also have the advantage in the authority of Christ still is in place. Even these evil spirits all throughout the Bible, Jesus had the power to order them around. If he said go, they went. If he said be quiet, they had to obey. If he commanded them to leave a person, they had to. Jesus still is in control, even though these forces of darkness are out trying to trip us up. So there are are schemes, there are plots. There's organization from the evil one. 
When I'm gathered with my staff meeting, I, I say that I think there are staff meetings in hell, too. And if you've been in certain companies, you might say, well, I've, I've been to some of those, Pastor Nate. But, but I think there's, there's, we're getting organized today as the church. That's what Sunday's about. We're scheming to bring life to the fullest to people, just as the forces of darkness are scheming to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the way to stand against the schemes of darkness is to put on the armor of God. We have the advantage in numbers, and we have the advantage of power. Every knee will bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have the authority. Jesus is the commanding officer in all of the universe. He still has the power to direct evil spirits. We have to just be firm and clear in standing in his power. We don't wrestle, it says, against flesh and blood. You might have a conflict going on, and and it's hard to explain, and it might seem from an earthly perspective that it's confusing and you don't know what's going on. There might be some other forces at play that are going on. So we have to recognize sometimes there's invisible causes for the visible things that we're going through. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this present darkness. The spiritual forces of evil, verse 12 says, in heavenly places. It's real. It's organized. There's ranking and order and principalities and powers. Paul's writing about all of this, next to a soldier that's under authority as well, as part of a kingdom. He says there's vying kingdoms going on against each other. We belong to the kingdom of light if we follow Jesus. So he says, therefore, because of all of this organization, because of this battle, what do we do? There's hope because he says that we can defeat the devil every time if we take on the whole armor of God so we can stand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. So Paul's going through the armaments. These are the different items that we have to put on. And Roman soldiers, in order to move around, they had to put a belt on because they had robes that were long. Sometimes when I preach, I wear a robe. Or if I'm in an academic procession, I wear a robe. And I wish I had the belt of truth because sometimes you can trip over those things because they're long and sort of clumsy. And so Paul's saying... Gird up yourself with the belt of truth so you can maneuver. The the belt of truth holds you together. It's your centerpiece. It's over the most vulnerable parts of yourself, and it helps you to maneuver in the battle and maneuver through life because the truth is what helps us to know who we are and whose we are, and we know where to go based on that. He also says that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is very important because it's easy in the battle to talk about our own righteousness. And if you're like me, I've got a record. There's stuff that I've done. I need a savior. I don't preach Jesus just because other kids do. I preach Jesus because I need a savior. And the righteousness of Nate Landis will not stand in the battle. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ will stand in the battle every time. Anytime the devil reminds us of our sin, we need to remind him of the righteousness of Jesus. Because we all pray the prayer of confession saying we need a savior. We're not standing on our own merit. We're going to stand and be right with God because of what Jesus did in our place. The power of the gospel is what we have to put on. Because otherwise, we'll be timid and shy and we'll feel unworthy. We'll feel ashamed. We'll start backing up because 
We've all had stuff happen that we've done wrong, and the devil can point to that if we stand on our own righteousness. But if we say it's not about my righteousness, it's about the right relationship Jesus has with the Father that I get credit for, and we put that on, then we can stand boldly and confidently in the battle. We can go forward knowing that we're accepted by Jesus, and everything we've done before has been wiped away. It's not just hidden. It's like it never happened. There's that flood restoration company that can come to your home, and their slogan is, it's like it never happened. That's, that's better than just moving the water to a different part of the house. Jesus, with his righteousness, it's like those sins never happened. And he's giving us that power to stand. The devil is an accuser, Jesus says. Day and night, he's pointing the finger at the brethren and the sisterin and pointing out all the stuff we've done that disqualifies us from walking with God. And if we try to stand on our own merit, he's right. He might be exaggerating it. He might be forgetting things that we've done that are good, but he's got the, the dirt on us. We have to put on, on top of our unrighteousness, we put on the righteousness of Christ. That's the, the breastplate. That's over our heart. That's what protects us. That's what we stand on. That makes us undefeated. The breastplate of not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness on our behalf. That's what we have to put on to protect our heart. It gets better. He says that after the breastplate of righteousness, we need to put on the shoes on our feet of being ready to share the gospel. The Roman soldiers had sandals. So in San Diego, we can relate to that. But they had more straps than our flip-flops. And, and they had spikes down below so that you could get anchored and stand your ground. We have to be ready to bring the gospel because the devil's trying to disqualify us or make us feel unworthy or make us feel distracted so we don't bring the good news to people. Elsewhere in scripture, it says, how beautiful are the feet of people that bring the good news. Back in ancient Israel, when there was a battle, they didn't have cell phones to send photos from the front. We see war pictures now instantly from all over the world. We probably see more carnage than humans were meant to handle now in real time all the time. So if you ever wondered whether the world needs Jesus, you can see it in your hand every day. But back in ancient times, you had to wait for a runner to come from the battlefield. And if he was running fast, you knew he had news. And you're watching and waiting because what he's going to tell you is a matter of life and death. It's not just going to enhance our life a little bit, but it's like there's either an army coming behind him that's going to sack our city, or we've won the battle and we're going to be able to go on with life as we've known it. So the words of the messenger who had the feet of good news were the most precious words because it was literally going to be the death sentence or the exhale of relief because we could live again. And the beautiful good news of the gospel is that Jesus has won the battle. On the cross, he defeated Satan. He thought, the devil thought he had won when Jesus went down on the cross. And God tricked him into paying for the sins of the world and defeating death and sin when Christ was dead because he rose up again. 
He won the battle for us. And so we get to be the feet of the good news that bring this to places that haven't heard it before. There's someone at our workplace that needs the feet of good news to come and say, the battle you're facing isn't going to define you, but there's hope in Jesus. There's a power greater than your own at work in the world. Bring the good news with our feet. We have to be ready and anchored to be able to share the good news. Sometimes when we're looking at other people and their struggles and helping them, it helps the battle for us be more bearable as well. Sometimes focusing on the situation somebody else is going through helps us to experience the good news ourselves because we're being messengers of the gospel. So having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, having our feet ready with the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, it says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Anybody ever been shot at? Got a couple, couple hands? So, and, and if you're in business or you're in ministry, or we, we've all been shot at verbally. Somebody's been shot at maybe literally. But the Bible's saying there are fiery darts flying and we have to hide behind the shield of faith. The shield of faith isn't like a trash can lid like Captain America has, even though you can throw it, and that's pretty cool too. But these shields that the Romans fought with were doorways. They were, they were almost as tall as the soldier, and you had to lock up side by side by side. The shield of faith is actually something you use in collective combat. Paul's telling us later in this passage to be praying for the saints, to be looking out for each other, because we weren't meant to fight this battle on our own. We can't fight with our own strength. But even as we're using the weapons that God's given us, we're not meant to engage alone. There's flaming arrows that are coming. And the purpose of a flaming arrow isn't just to kill the person that it hits. The flaming dart or arrow is meant to explode and cause fire and panic so that everyone around that soldier starts to lose their composure and separate, and then they go hysterical and they start backing up. But the shield of faith extinguishes the flaming arrows, and we stand side by side as God's people, fighting the battle that we can only win together. So sometimes when we're going through the battle, we have to be honest and ask a brother or sister to come alongside us. Hey, I'm getting shot at right now. Life is hard right now. Can you bring your shield of faith and line up and we'll have a wall of four or five of these in a row and then I'm not going to face it alone because the flaming arrows are coming and I need them to go out. I don't want them to explode and ignite. Paul's telling us the shield of faith can extinguish every one of those. The battle is real, but Jesus is greater. He says, in this world you'll have trouble. It was a guarantee. But he said, take heart I've overcome the world. So sometimes we, when, when we're getting incoming flack from life, we need to be honest and, and call someone. We need to be honest. I, I love the second service. I love the first service too, don't worry. But I love the second service when we pray out loud for each other. And we're, we're able to cover each other with that shield of faith. We're able to cry out to God and say, this person's going through it. We need to line up together and extinguish the flaming arrows that are coming out. Faith says God is greater. Faith says our circumstances don't change our identity. Faith says that the power of God can overcome anything that the evil one is bringing at us. 
We have to stand our ground. We have to trust that the shield will work. If we don't believe the shield will work, we're going to back up because we're getting shot at. And here's, here's the thing. If you're not getting shot at sometimes, you might not be a big enough threat to the enemy. I mentioned earlier that he has limited resources, one-third of the fallen angels. So he's got to delegate to media. He's got to delegate to other systems in our society. He's got to delegate and really only guard the ones that are the biggest threat. So if you're getting shot at, it might mean you're doing something that matters. Congratulations. It might actually be confirmation that you're on the right path. Sometimes when we get shot at, we think we must be on the wrong path. Because American-style Christianity is one without persecution. But biblical Christianity is one that says, we are going to be persecuted if we follow after Christ. Let's walk that kind of biblical Christianity out in America. And when we're shot at, call for help and expect it. There must be something valuable over the next horizon. Let's keep going. Let's stand our ground. Let's move forward. There's someone else that needs the good news. That's where we're going to go. In 2015, our ministry was shot at by a school district that didn't like the good news going out into public schools. And we had to stand our ground by the shield of faith and remember that the law and the Lord were on our side, even if the district's chief lawyer was emailing every middle school and high school principal with flaming darts, telling them lies about our organization. We had to hold our ground and say, we're getting shot at. That actually means we're on to something. And I can tell you the law and the Lord are on our side, and in 2023, we're stronger than we were then, but I'll never forget that fall, talking to our lawyer every day for a couple hours. Thankfully, he's pro bono. Otherwise, I think I owe him $200,000 because he was helping us navigate this firing situation where we were getting shot at because the public school district didn't want kids knowing about the gospel. But the enemy can't be stopped. The evil one can make noise, he can shoot at us, but we can hold our ground and extinguish every flaming arrow of the evil one. In all circumstances, take the shield of faith. Isn't that a great commandment? No matter what you're facing, this is, this is a tool good in all circumstances. Imagine Paul handing it out. It's, he's handing it out to each of us. The shield of faith. The armor of light. You turn it on, whoosh, imagine... A a door-sized shield of faith made of light. That's better than anything Tony Stark could make up. And we have one of those for real. You turn it on, it's good for every circumstance. It repels every dart coming at you from the evil one. It's good for every circumstance. Take it up and be ready. It'll extinguish the flaming darts coming at you. And take the helmet of salvation. Remember the Bible tells us We need this armament because he's not protecting us from the battle. He's protecting us in the battle. I think when I get to heaven, I'll I'll look at my helmet of salvation, and it's got some gashes in it. It's got some marks on it. It's got some scuffs on it because I've been in the battle, and you've been in the battle. But the helmet of salvation means that we belong to Christ, and we can be fearless in the battle. David Livingston was a Presbyterian missionary and he would walk off a boat into a strange nation and he was facing tribes that were willing to kill him and he had no fear because he said, I belong to the Lord and when my time to go is here, I'll go and until then, he'll protect me. 
And he had this really fearless attitude because he had the helmet of salvation on wherever he went. He knew that he belonged to Christ. And even if they killed his body, they couldn't kill his soul. He was safe because he belonged to Christ. So the helmet of salvation gives us confidence. We know that our destiny is secure with him. And then we have to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only thing I preach from. It's the only thing that works to make the darkness go away. It's the light you shine that makes the cockroaches scatter. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days, the devil came to him. And Jesus didn't say, that's a fascinating school of thought, Lucifer. He didn't say, that's really interesting that you would point that out. He didn't engage in any kind of dialogue. All he said was what? It is written. It is written. It is written. That's what Jesus fought with. That's what we need to fight with. The sword of the Spirit. Some scholars think it was more of a dagger because it's a wrestling match and it's personal and it's intimate and, and, and the devil will come close to you and you have to use the sword of the Spirit to make the darkness disappear. It is written, it is written, it is written. The devil's opening line to humanity in the Garden of Eden was questioning God's word. Did God really say, will you really die if you eat this fruit? God is here to rip you off, not to give you life. There was deception. There was truth in the lie. They didn't die immediately, but they died spiritually immediately. But then they did die physically later. That's where death entered our story. That's where the fashion industry was born. We had to cover up and hide. The devil was saying, did God really say? And we have to fight back with, yes, he did. And his word is true. His word is the anchor. He's the one that can hold you. When I was in Africa as a missionary, I got to go to the second largest bungee jumping station on the planet. Between Zimbabwe and Zambia, there's a bridge. And it's about as narrow as maybe two aisles here. And in the middle, there's a lot of paperwork you sign. Basically, if this goes badly, I'll be dead, but I promise that my relatives won't sue. And they tie you up with rock climbing harnesses. And then with a bungee cord, they throw you off this bridge. And you can watch videos of this, by the way, on YouTube. And you get three seconds of uninterrupted free fall. And if it goes well, you get two seconds of rebound. And then they pull you up. And I watched this, and after a couple jumps, the person beside me said, are you going to do this too? It's only $90 US. And I lied through my teeth. I said, I'm a poor missionary. I can't afford that kind of entertainment. But I was scared through my teeth because I didn't want to trust my life to this cable, some glorified rubber band that was going to keep me from going into the abyss of Victoria Falls. But Jesus is saying to us here, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is something we can stake our lives on. We can use it, guaranteeing it'll work. I didn't know if that cable would work, but Jesus in the wilderness and Paul here in Ephesians says, we respond with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. You can't lie to me. I know my rights. That's what I love about our public school ministry. If a middle school kid, no matter how petite, no matter how uh, soft-spoken she may be, can walk up to an ASB leader and say to the supervisor of the student government, I know what I'm allowed to do. 
I know the truth. I want to have a club at my school. At Hoover High School, the ASB director turned down the club application three times, and this little petite girl had to go up with the truth and say, I want this club to happen at my school. And by the way, I have my legal rights. And she pulls out this two-page memorandum that our lawyer makes for us. And the ASB person goes, okay, where do I sign? I've got to approve this. And then 100 kids a week at Hoover High School heard the gospel because a young person knew the power that was afforded to them that they just had to have the courage to use. We have so much power afforded to us here with the Bible, with the Word of God. It's, it's an authoritative document. The forces of darkness have to listen. It's your legal contract guaranteeing your rights as a follower of Christ. And you just have to say it is written. It is written. It is written. I'm going to live it out. That's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And praying at all times with all prayers and supplication. We know people are getting shot at. We need to be praying for them. We need to be covering them. Prayers work anywhere. You can pray across state lines. There's no rollover minutes required. You don't need good coverage in a certain area to pray. It works everywhere. God's Spirit in you can send a prayer. You can send a prayer up to God, and it will have an impact on the other side of the planet, on the other side of the classroom on the other side of your family reunion, on the other side of the political aisle, you can pray a prayer and it will change the situation. Prayer is supernatural power because we're asking God to work on our behalf. It's not our strength, it's his. And Paul says, also pray for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth so I can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. When Jesus saw Peter, and Peter was a scared fisherman. Peter had a dirty mouth, and he fell down on his knees, and he said, away from me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And Jesus saw in Peter the rock that was going to be the foundation of the church. The confession of Jesus as Lord was greater than any sin Peter had committed, any of his inadequacies, any of his insecurities, any of his prejudices. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the good news for us today, is that we're not a church just on offense. I'm sorry, we're not a church just on defense. We're getting shot at. We're holding our ground. But we're ultimately called to be a church that's on offense. The gates of hell refer to the fortified structures of a barricade, and we're called to storm the castle. We're called to go rescue the captives. We're called to be the church that's getting shot at because we're advancing to set people free. The church is an offensive not offensive always, but offensive, sometimes unavoidably offensive, but only when we have to be. But we're offensive always, setting the captives free. Jesus is telling us, suit up, because it's not just to keep you safe. Suit up because you're called to go on a mission to rescue some people that need rescuing. That's pretty exciting. That sounds like a good sermon to preach to a Congregation that knows a lot about Navy SEALs here on Coronado, right? The special mission that you're especially trained for, you need the equipment for, and you're sent out to go and rescue people that need the gospel. 
The gates of hell won't prevail if we hold our ground and we go on offense. There's people in our neighborhoods that need to be rescued. There's people in our schools that need to be rescued. There's people online that need to be rescued. And you and I have the power in Christ to line up side by side and to go after the lost that matter to Jesus. If we put on the armor of God, it's ours already, but we have to wear it. I pray for my kids every night, and I pray the armor of God over them. It's already on them, but I want them to use it. I want them to be reminded of it. I want them to suit up and be fearless, because the promises of God are true. It is written, it is written, it is written. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church as we stand our ground and we bring the good news to people in our offices, to people in our communities, maybe our grandchildren, maybe somebody across the street, someone at dinner, someone at Panera. Who does God want to send us out to rescue this week? We have the armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. Final thing, and then I'm done. Pastor John told me not to preach a minute over two hours, so I'm doing great. I'm almost there. We are all called to reach someone. We all have this assignment, and we get to scheme. The devil schemes and plots for destruction. We get to plot goodness as God's people. We get together, and we pray, and we develop resources, and we develop plans. And while terrorists and enemies are plotting destruction, we get to plot life to the fullest for strangers that we haven't even met yet. We get to plot life to the fullest in Jesus for our loved ones that don't know Jesus yet. We get to get together and scheme and pray and fund stuff and do stuff and go out on missions because Jesus' kingdom is advancing. The kingdom of darkness knows its time is short. The kingdom of darkness has an expiration date. He's been defeated already. And we get to live out that victory. The battle is ours, but we have to fight it. The armor is ours, but we have to wear it. The power of God is ours, but we have to stand firm in faith together. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't die because he was weak. He died because he voluntarily gave up his life to pay a debt for all of us. He says that if he wanted to, he could call down 12 legions of angels on the spot. A legion, 6,000 soldiers. 12 legions is 72,000 angels. When Jerusalem was under siege, God sent one angel to wipe out 185,000 Assyrian troops on one day. So if you do the math, 185,000 times 7,200. 72,000. It's over the population of the entire planet in angels that Jesus had at his disposal. He didn't even need a Bluetooth. All he could have said was, boys, come handle this. And he would have been off the cross. He would have been safe. He would have been fine. Everything would be okay. But he knew he had to pay a sin debt for all of us. We were all captives to sin. Back in ancient times, people went to prison for debts. So most of the American population would be locked up right now, if that's still how we did it. But everybody 
was in prison for debts. And Jesus, on the cross, set the captives free by paying our sin debt. The devil thought he was winning. Jesus actually set all of us free if we believe in him. And now, with that same power, he rose from the dead. He lives in you and me. We get to go out those doors and proclaim the power and victory of Christ and that the debts have all been paid. All you have to do is accept the good news of the gospel. So may you go forth with joy and power, knowing that Christ won. Nobody took his life. Nobody could keep him dead. And if you have Christ in you, you can't be stopped either as you go out as an ambassador of the good news. God bless you, and may you go in peace.